are new, and I know we've already talked to you a little bit, but if this is uh, even your first time, uh, we'd love to know you're here. If you have a prayer request or a comment, anything you want to let us know, uh, the best way to do that is at the info table. After the service, you can go over there, and there's a welcome card. If you fill that card in and submit it, you get a gift from a ministry in India that we support. It's yep. an awesome story that you can hear more about. Um, but we want you to know that you're welcome here and that as we're here together, we get to encounter a living God. He created everything and he's here today and he wants to meet you right where you're at, no matter what. He loves you and it's a great time. Amen. Yeah. So we're going to hop into the word. We've Let's got a new series. Yeah. New series. That's right. Yep. Ladder glory. Ladder glory. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Okay. I'll pray for you and then you can hop in. Jesus, I thank you for um, Aaron, and I thank you uh, uh, for um, what you've put on his heart uh, this morning to share with us. I ask that you would help him to clearly um, articulate the things you've put on his heart, that you'd make all of our hearts sensitive to hear from your word, that it would um, not be something that we just hear, but something that uh, meets us uh, at a core level and that transforms the way that we live, the way that we think. Uh, and that we get to meet you more deeply uh, this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Drew. I feel like I need to do a little stretch after all that talking before we settle in again. There you go. Thanks, Drew. Really was great celebrating Easter and Palm Sunday with all of you. Just really enjoyed that. Looking forward to summer as we dive in to change the pace a little bit here. You guys ready to engage the Word of God? <clears throat> Are you ready to buy in for a little bit to the notion of the God of the universe, your creator, desires to speak to you right here and right now? I believe it's true. Man, I tell you what, as I, uh, as I get older and have spent more time in the Word, I just find myself so much more and more appreciative of what I come across. Uh, just the simplicity of God's love and patience and grace towards us and the invitation to live uh, consistent with His design, with His purpose, uh, consistent with His goodness. I'm just so grateful. Uh, how many of you here have experienced uh, any sort of uh, disappointments in your life? How many of you are sitting next to that disappointment? No, just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> disappointment is a, is a common piece of human experience. But let me ask you a, a more specific question. How many of you, uh, just so that maybe even if someone's new here, they feel comfortable knowing that other people have walked similar experiences. How many of you have ever walked through disappointment where on the, on, the, on the backside of disappointment, you found yourself believing that you would never recover something that was lost? You'll never have it back. Yeah. Well, this morning's message uh, is for you. Um, we deal with disappointments on a small scale, uh, we deal with disappointments on a larger scale. Um, you've heard me say many times that uh, I believe that God has given us children as a parable. 
one of my most consistent areas of disappointment in my life uh, has to do with uh, trying to take a nap on Sunday afternoon. <clears throat> if you're an adult, well, some of you, some of you are those people who magically can like shut the lights off, right? My wife can magically shut the lights off. She can say, I'm going to sleep and then be asleep. For me, there's a very long negotiation that happens, right? Anyone with me? And right as you arrive at that very sort of delicate moment of, of moving towards unconsciousness, Now, I've told my children at least 55,000 times, don't knock on the door when I'm napping. And the explanation is still the same. I knocked just once. But you know, if you're a parent, you know that that delicate, that, that moment of transfer is not recoverable. You don't get it back, right? You lay in bed for the next 30 minutes thinking about how you were going to take a nap and thinking about how you're going to discipline your children when you go out of your room. <laughs> Something is lost that cannot be recovered. I'm gonna jump into the beginning of Ezra, uh, but this is what I wanna do. So we've been, we've been looking at a couple of things that are sort of outside of the storyline real quickly. And so to give you some context, um, there's this, we're going to look at a, a very fascinating uh, little passage that has to do with some old people uh, crying their eyes out uh, in Ezra chapter 3. But this is a significant moment uh, in the history of Israel. And so I want to uh, kind of go back real quickly, if you'll permit me, take just a couple minutes and catch you up to speed as to where we're at. You guys remember Abraham in Genesis 12? God called him and he said, I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to multiply your descendants like the sand on the seashore. And through your family, through your lineage, I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole earth. And Abraham said, fantastic. Abraham had a son who had a son who had a son who ended up ruler of Egypt during a time of famine. And so all of the family moved to Egypt. Well, they eventually ran out of money for food, and so they indentured themselves as slaves to Pharaoh and then remained in Egypt 400 years. And as they were there in slavery, the group grew and grew and grew until there was a couple million of them living there in Egypt. And yet the slavery that they lived under was so severe and so harsh that they began to cry out to God for delivery. And God sent one of their own, a young man who had actually been raised in Egyptian culture but was a Jew. He sent Moses and he said, I want you to go rescue my people. I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to Abraham and that is that his family will have this land in Canaan the other piece of that is that for 400 years, I have patiently waited for these people to turn away from their wicked ways. And it's time for that evil, that wickedness, that oppression, that injustice to come to an end. 
So he brought the people through great drama out of the land, and they get to the boundary of this land of promise that God said he would give them, and they say, ah, I don't think it's going to happen. We can't do it. And so the first generation dies in the wilderness, and the children uh, of that generation went into the land and conquered the land, took the land that God had said was theirs to possess. And yet God had given them some really specific instructions. He said, when you go into the land, there are going to be some very real uh, threats to your future in that land. There are going to be some people there who are not just unkind, who are not just of a different persuasion. There are going to be some people there who will destroy your future, your family's future. They seek your destruction. And if you don't deal with those threats, those threats will eventually come back to haunt you. Well, they went in and they dealt with most of the threats and didn't deal with all the threats. And then we get into the book of Judges where they find themselves in this cycle of defeat. They keep getting their behinds whooped and then not liking it and going to the Lord and say, we don't like this. And he sends someone, a judge, to help them out. And they go, oh, thank you, God. See you later. And they go right back to what they were doing. And this goes on for generations. Finally, out of frustration, they appoint a king. They say, well, maybe if we had a king who was in charge, he could really get some things going. And Saul is appointed king, and it's a disaster. He was not the answer to prayer. And then comes David, this man after God's own heart. And then his son Solomon. And really, honestly, in the whole history of the Old Testament, there's this very narrow window where the people of God came close to being what God had always called them to be. And yet it was momentary. When Solomon died, his son came and said, man, you thought your taxes were high. You've not seen nothing yet. And the kingdom was split apart permanently. The northern section of the kingdom eventually assimilated into all of the surrounding areas and, and, and disappeared, vanished forever. And the southern kingdom, just the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, found themselves just going once again through cycles of victory and defeat, but no real growth. They found themselves with kings who were content to abuse their political power. And during this time, God sent prophet after prophet, preacher after preacher. If you will turn to me, all of the promises that I've made you are still available if you will choose to walk in them. And yet, generation after generation, the people moved further and further and further away from the promises of God, from the good plans of God. It's happening over 100 years. Well, eventually, Babylon came along. And Israel is weakened. They've been living in defeat. And Babylon wiped them out, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed Solomon's temple, 
that had stood for something about 360 years, this monument to the majesty of what Israel momentarily was when they walked in obedience to God. Babylon just crushed it, destroyed it, burnt the wood to the ground and leveled the stones. They took the choice population, those who were young and nimble and strong and mentally adept, and they hauled them off back to their hometown of Babylon, and they put them into service, the kingdom of Babylon. Everything was lost. For 70 years, they remained there, unassimilated. They maintained their identity, but they were in a foreign land, subservient to a foreign power. But God had made a promise through his prophets. He said, I'm going to bring you back. For 70 years, you'll be there. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to keep my promise to you, even though you have been unfaithful to me. And so without a battle, without a fight, in one night, the Babylon kingdom, one of the greatest superpowers the world has ever seen, was laid waste. And the Medo-Persian army snuck in under the walls and took the kingdom of Babylon without a fight. In Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus, the king of Persia, who now is leading the world superpower. He says this, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And all the Jews in, in, in Babylon said, I'm sorry, what? He has appointed me. Whoever there is among you of all his people, talking to the Jews, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. That's crazy talk. This guy is now like king of the universe, and he says, by the way, I had a conversation with God, the real true God, and he said that he wants his house rebuilt in that, uh, what's it called, anchor point? No, 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 the one past that. Jerusalem, that's right, out in the sticks. And here's the deal, what I want you to do is I want anyone who is of Jewish heritage, I want you to make a plan to go back home and be part of that project. And also, if you have a neighbor who is of Jewish heritage, I want you to take some of your money and give it to them for the trip and for the work that they're about to do. Wow, this is an exciting turn of events. And so after 70 years, as essentially political hostages. The people of Israel make their way. They begin migrating back to Jerusalem. 
And as they set up their homes, their temporary shelters there, they set about the business of rediscovering the worship of God in Jerusalem. And so they, uh, we're gonna, we'll cover a few of these details in future, the next couple of weeks, but they, they rediscovered the law of God and began to read it, the instructions for worship. And they laid the foundation for a new temple to be built so that God's presence, His power, His glory could be with them again there in that place. And this is the description of the celebration. This is kind of what I want to focus on this morning. This is the description of the celebration that ensued around the laying of the foundation for the new temple, Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. And when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. Can you even believe what he has done? And all the people shouted with a great joy when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. And while many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish between the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard far away. In the midst of this great celebration, this moment of, of joyous return, of rebuilding, of celebrating a potential future that we thought had been lost. There's Bill Wilkinson bawling his eyes out. And there's Pat McDonald just crying like a child, ruining the whole party for everyone. Actually, I don't even think you guys are old enough. They were gone 70 years, so 70 plus something. You get the picture. It says they wept so loudly that it was difficult to distinguish. If you're standing there, you say, wait a second, are we cheering or are we crying? I, I've lost track of what's happening here. And then the story moves on in Ezra. And yet, if you cheat, if you sneak ahead, buried in the, the prophets section of the Bible, there's a very short little book. It's probably like two pages in your Bible. The prophet Haggai. Haggai was a prophet who was hearing from the Lord and sharing it with the people of Israel at this exact time. And listen to what he says. This is God speaking through Haggai in Haggai chapter 2. Who is left among you who saw this temple 
in its former glory, and how do you see it now? Does it not seem like nothing in comparison? And yet, he makes this promise. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory, the glory that will come down the road, the glory of my temple will be greater than it ever has been. Define glory because I want to unpack this uh, with you and make some application as far as navigating loss and hopelessness and disappointment. I define glory this way. The glory of God is his abundance, his riches, his splendor, his honor. It is the full weight of all of his greatness, his goodness, and his wisdom and grace revealed to us. That is the glory of God. It's the glory of God is, is, the, is the capacity, what it's describing is the capacity to sort of pull back the curtains for a moment and see it, to witness it, right? To see it for the first time. All of who he is, his character, his power, his love revealed. That's the glory of God. Made known to us. And yet the people wept in despair, convinced of this, that their future potential was but a shadow of their former glory. I saw the old temple. This is, quite frankly, it's kind of embarrassing. The old temple was a landmark it was, it was unbelievably majestic, beautiful. You know, it says in the old temple that Solomon built, it says that there were two cherubim, that is angels, that were 15 feet high, carved with wings that spread out 15 feet, going either direction. There was two of them standing side by side that had been carved and then covered with gold, and they stood wingtip to wingtip and spread across the entire sanctuary of the temple. That's why we need more money for a new building. We want some of those. <laughs> I want to do it quickly before the price of gold goes up anymore. And yet the people wept in despair. They wept in disappointment. I'm going to give you three observations here. Three observations, and I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of give it to you this way. Three things that the people forgot that led them to despair in this moment. You know that despair. I know that despair. Three things that they forgot. The first one is this, the glorious first temple was not God's request. 
Do you know that that amazing building, that stunning landmark, that place that people traveled from all over kingdom come just to, to lay eyes on it, God never asked for it. Listen to this. This is when David first sort of concocted the idea of building a temple that would be passed on to his son uh, Solomon. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is God's response to David saying, I want to build God a temple. He says, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle, wherever I have gone with all of the sons of Israel. Did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house? God says, oh, I'm sorry. Did, no, I, I wasn't requesting a nicer home. Uh, in fact, the first home, the tent, was my design. <laughs> it's pretty special. He says, no, I didn't. I don't. You've never heard me complain about my place of residence. You've never heard me utter a word of criticism that I should also get a house now that you guys have your own houses. He says, no, that's not coming from me. The first temple was never God's request. My observation is this, is I think it's easy to lose track of the difference between what God has actually requested and what I have desired in a godly way. It's easy to think that because God blessed the building of the temple, which he did, that he requested it, but that temple was man's idea that God in his grace said, okay, I'll give you my blessing. The first temple, Solomon's temple, was impressive by human standards. It was incredible. It was also a place where the presence of God had been despised and neglected for generations. It was not God's request, and over its lifetime, it rarely honored his desires. And what it became instead was a monument that men were impressed by, that women were impressed by. And now it was in ruins. This next temple will never be so impressive. I know that there are some of you here today who invested heavily in things that now lay in ruins. If you've been around long enough and you've lived a life of generosity, 
you've invested in things that ended up in ruins. Yeah, we see evidence that God blessed it for a time. I think we were fairly sure that he requested it. But I know now it's not there anymore. And that reality, for many, convinces us that we should not continue to invest. We look at the new idea and we'd say, jeez, you should have been around when I was back in the heyday, right? There's a wailing and there's cheering happening simultaneously. So many well-meaning followers of Christ have attached God's potential to the success or failure of our plans, even plans that God may bless. And standing face to face with the evidence of their own defeat, of the loss of those things, they weep at that lost potential. And God is gracious in that. I love his response in Haggai. He says, do you, do you see this? Doesn't it just seem to you like nothing in comparison to what was? God says, I understand your disappointment. This is a shadow of its former glory in your eyes. Secondly, they forgot that the glory of God does not rely on human greatness, nor has it ever. You are an expression of God's glory, but his glory is not rested on us. In Haggai, he continues on, Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land. What he's indicating is there is going to be another cataclysmic event. Of course, we know historically that that temple, the second temple, wouldn't survive. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine. Just to be clear, whatever, whatever you had amassed and accumulated to make this a really shiny, impressive house, that was all mine to begin with. I created all of that. It is one of the gravest mistakes that I see, and I'm speaking to young people in the room. It's one of the gravest mistakes that I see young people make who are ambitious about serving God is believing that the glory of God is proven through human strength. We look at what the world values and we think, hey, if I had, if I excelled in all of the things that are of value to the world and then attached to that my own testimony, man, wouldn't that make God look good? And God says, I've been looking good for a long time, son. It's my favorite Mr. T quote. God's lucky to have me on his side. 
And by favorite, I mean least favorite. I'm going to be the best parent. I'm going to be the best husband. I'm going to be the best wife. I'm going to be the best teacher. I'm going to be the best artist. I'm going to be the best in business. And at the end of the day, all the glory is going to go to God, and he is going to be made to look great. And then we run face first into the wall of our own weaknesses, our own shortcomings. We run face first first into unforeseen challenges that we could have never anticipated. We run face first into people who don't adore everything that we do. And we're left spinning and we look at what was going to be, or maybe you even walked in it momentarily. Maybe you even stepped into that greatness and then it was gone in whatever area. Maybe it was just a vision that you carried in your heart and your mind of what God was going to do. And now you're looking at this new foundation going, gosh, what an embarrassment. Maybe things went bad quickly. Maybe they went bad slowly. Maybe you achieved some goal for a while. Maybe you never quite got there. But either way, you now live with but a memory of what you had hoped would be. And when you look at what potential is available to you now on the other side of that, it makes you want to cry. You look at the footprint of the new building and you say, I'm glad that you're all excited. But quite frankly, it looks pathetic to me. It's embarrassing. It's a disappointment. And then here comes the Apostle Paul sneaking in with truth. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So just to be clear, the glory of God has never rested on human strength. We only bear witness and walk in the enjoyment of God's glory. And Paul says... I'm so convinced of this truth. I would rather hold up my weaknesses and say, look at the power of God through me. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he incredible? Not because of me, but because of him. Thirdly, they forgot that the glory of God is the presence of God with his people. Now take courage, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when I came out of Egypt, here it is, here's the promise that I made hundreds of years ago. My spirit 
is abiding in your midst. I have sent my presence to be with you. And when God is the object of our highest affections, when he is our supreme desire, everything else falls in line with that promise. My spirit will be with you. And I will fill this house with glory. It's often I find in a place of disappointment and hopelessness that we find our need for the presence of God in our life. And I will confess to you this is true of my own life. Maybe it's true of yours. There have even been times where my grieving is actually a sadness at recognizing the sheer magnitude of my own dependency. I'm actually grieving the discovery of my own finite nature, my own weakness, my own sin, and I'm weeping out of disappointment that I couldn't prove to myself that I was something that I thought myself should be. Stand before you today as a person greatly in need of the presence of God in my life. I've been married for over 20 years. Do you know my wife? She's fantastic. And I remember a time early in our marriage where I came to the realization, I guess we're going to settle for something far less. There was so much hurt between the two of us. We thought, well, we're going to stay married. I guess it'll just never be fun. disappointed at my own inability to produce in my own strength the outcomes that I thought would be so attainable. And I'm grieving at the discovery of my own dependency upon God. Just this last week, I was making French toast. I invite the worship team up. I was making French toast for breakfast. Twelve eggs. Cracked them, put the shells back in the carton, which I did for the first 19 years of my life. And then shortly after we were married, uh, I was doing something in the kitchen. I was cracking eggs, putting the shells back in the carton. And she said, why are you putting the shells back in the carton? Shells go in the trash. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Shells go back in the carton. That's how it's always been done. When all the eggs are gone, you throw the carton with the shells in the trash. Rhonda says, no, no, I'm telling you, that's how it goes. I love my wife unconditionally, fine. I'll try to remember to put the shells in the trash. Last week, I was making toast, French toast. Without thinking, I put all of the eggshells back in the box. 
as I went to put the box away, I realized I put all the eggshells back in the box and I thought to myself, if I leave those in there, it's gonna be annoying for my wife. And then I thought, she doesn't have a right to be annoyed at me. I'm making breakfast for the kids, good grief. She's gonna be all like self-righteously like, would you mind putting the, the things in the trash, the shells, and I'm gonna be like, listen, lady, I'm making breakfast for her children. Leave me alone, okay, back off. It's my house, these are my eggs. If I want the shells in the box, the shells will go in the box, okay? Just to be clear, my wife was not part of this conversation. I need your help. <laughs> so dependent upon his grace. <laughs> I did take them out. Because even for a person like me, transformation is possible. My wife never knew. It is in the place of dependency that we come to terms. what is truly valuable. With what truly matters and with what truly satisfies. And that is God's presence with us. God's glory, his presence and power, the full weight of all of his greatness, his goodness, his wisdom and grace would eventually come to rest in a temple of his making. And that is our hearts. His spirit would take up residence in us. And this is the greater glory. God's spirit in us, his presence with us always. Philippians 3 verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, Paul is talking about all of the things that I accomplished in my own strength, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of this, the surpassing value, the much greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. If you're standing in that place of disappointment, you need to understand this. There is absolutely no loss of potential to encounter the Spirit of God and the presence of God, the presence of God in your life right now. In fact, you may be on the precipice of discovering that in a way that is greater than anything that you have walked in before. Because it comes from a place of dependency. Would you stand? We have a couple of ways to respond. We're gonna celebrate Christ's work on the cross through which we have hope. Uh, through communion, we have uh, the cup and the bread around the room. You can do that together uh, with your family or alone, however you wanna celebrate that. It's to remember him. I'm gonna have prayer team ministry members over here. If you would like uh, someone to pray with you, uh, they would love to join with you. Um, in response to the teaching or for any other uh, reason, they would love to pray with you. You can also give their offering receptacles along the back. Let's come before the Lord in worship. As you stand, 
looking at that small footprint of potential as you grieve what in your own life experience heart you see as lost there has never been a greater potential to encounter God's presence to meet him than there is right now he wants to meet you there wants to give to you that which is of most value, his own presence. So thankful you're with us this morning. So great to celebrate God together, to worship him together. A couple of quick reminders. I'm going to have the couple of our ministry, prayer ministry people stay put. If you want to receive prayer as we dismiss, uh, they'll stay there for a couple minutes. They'd love to join with you. Uh, check in with your house churches. Uh, some of the house churches will be kicking back off for the, the final stretch uh, this evening senior high we're having our final meeting tonight junior high ministry is also happening I wanted to let you know as well that our worship sets that we do on Sunday morning are available during the week on the app so if you want to continue singing the songs that we sang together check that out God bless you God keep you may his peace be upon you you're dismissed <laughs>